Hello everyone, you're listening to Game Rivals, a podcast where a Nintendo fan and a PlayStation fan talk about the latest games and happenings in the gaming community and industry. I'm one of your hosts, Maximilian X, and together with Sean Templar, we bring you this bi-weekly podcast about video games. Hey guys, uh, just to let you know uh, up at the top of the episode, in our first segment where we talk about uh, Google Stadia, um, we had some technical difficulties in between, so you may notice a recording break in there. I hope you guys understand and I hope you guys enjoy this episode. Good day and welcome back to another episode of The Gaming Rivals. Yay! I'm your host this week, Maximilian X, and I'm here together with my fellow co-host, John Templar. Sean Templar, how are you doing today? I am amazing. How are you today? I am... Um, Very skeptical. <laughs> you have not begin to begun to see the levels of skepticism that I can bring forth, but... This episode, ladies and gentlemen, is, well, this segment specifically is going to have me showing my skepticism to a next degree. And it's just going to be, like, I, so, um, you know what, let's just dive into the news for this week, because we, we have a lot to talk about. We just watched the live stream of Google's keynote presentation from GDC 2019 and there is a lot to unpack um (laughs) do you want to start it off or should I I'll start it off I'll just walk people through the basics and then let people know what Google Google just dropped in everybody's laps if they haven't heard about it yet they will be hearing about it now for the first time Alrighty, so Google announced a new streaming platform they call Stadia, and it is a online service that runs off of their data centers. So what happens is, is the idea is that you can play AAA games in 4K, 60 FPS, HDR on devices such as a Google Chromecast or devices such as Pixels or through browsers uh, delivered directly to Chrome. Um, they showed a stage demo of uh, Assassin's Creed Odyssey. You might know that they tried it last year in October with Assassin's Creed Odyssey. They called it Project Stream at the time, and you could play the game in 1080p, 60fps. And so the promise is that they're going to allow it to go up to 4K, 60 with HDR, and they're also future-proofing it. So they'll be able to offer 8K, 120 frames in the future. Um, as for power they said they offer either single gpus for example or multiple gpus for game development Um, they work together with amd to develop custom gpus they developed a gpu that offers 10 teraflops of computing power which is stronger than the ps4 pro and the xbox one x combined Um, and they're going all in on cross-platform so cross-play for example, um, you're also able to use your existing controllers if you want, but they also announced their own controller. Um, and so the idea is it's, it's around that you can play wherever you want, whenever you want, and you can also share whatever you want. People can drop into your sessions if you want. 
you can share um, your sessions, you can create, I believe they called it state play, that you have like a specific moment in your gameplay that you can lock in so other people can experience the same thing that you experienced. Um, Google Assistant is part of the service, you're, so you'll be able to ask Google Assistant directly. For example, if you're playing a game and you're stuck, they showed a, a demo of uh, Tomb Raider and they were stuck in a tomb and they said, hey Google, how do I get past this tomb? And then the system would automatically grab a video and I believe they also showed the exact moment of the video in which how to get past that uh, tomb. Um, it's launching this year, they haven't said when, and it will be launching first in the US, in Canada, in the UK, and in select parts of Europe. Um, we kind of hope that we are part of those select parts because we have Google data centers in the Netherlands and our internet speeds are also pretty good. They're awesome. Um, they're awesome. There's no details on pricing, though I suspect it will be a subscription based. They're also, they created the, um, like a, their own game division now. It's called Stadia Games and Entertainment. And some of you might know Jade Raymond. She was one of the creators and producers on Assassin's Creed. Mm -hmm. She was at EA Motive. She founded that studio. And she joined Google now to be the head of Stadia Games and Entertainment. Um, Phil Harrison from Sony and Microsoft and Atari is also at Google. So they have a pretty strong team and they do know specifically which direction they want to head into. Um, and I believe I mentioned like all the big stuff. They also have like, like a lot of um, developer focused stuff. So developers can use machine learning developers can harness the power of the of the data center so they can for example they said like if you want a, um, a battle royale game to have 100 people that's possible but you could also scale it up to thousands of people it's all about flexibility and scalability um, the power of the google data center is at the developer's disposal and they can do whatever they want um, i think they're just going to try to get as much people on board as they can and they said they'll share more details later summer about which games will come to the launch of the platform. And that's it, I believe. Wow, nice recap. Nicely done. Yeah. I, think, <laughs> I think you hit on all the important parts that people need to know. And if they want to know more, they can just hit up you know, any uh, game-related uh, or tech-related website. I'm pretty sure like a bunch of them are covering it. I know uh, IGN already has like a piece up, and I'm pretty sure it's like on GameSpot and Kotaku and... Um, and gadget and uh, yeah you can also go to the stadia website i believe stadia.com yeah. but it doesn't show a lot well, right well you now. can it's sign up like for highlights. more information and it has i think the trailer for stadia um yeah which also shows off the controller which by the way the stadia controller i don't know if you noticed it during that sizzle reel it has the konami code on the back Really? Yeah, like if you uh, flip it upside down, it literally states up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right, B, A, start. Oh, lol, I didn't know that. Yeah. Oh, that's nice. <laughs> so I was like, okay, I'm, I know, I know it's called the Konami code, so I, but I don't think Konami actually has the rights to that button input. So I guess anybody can use it. And I think <laughs> they want it to be cute, so they put it on the back of the controller. Wow, that's funny. All right. So I was really excited. And like before we started this, yeah. uh, you could notice my excitement. And you're a bit skeptical. Oh, of course um, I am. Let me just, before I share my excitement and like be happy, enthusiastic, 
What are your thoughts and why are you skeptical? Well, I don't want to come off as the completely skeptical guy. So I do want to bring up the stuff that I thought was pretty interesting. And I'm curious to see where it goes when it finally launches. The first thing is the development area. The fact that it is a development area that you technically don't need a high-powered workstation to work behind to get your games up and running, that sounds really cool. I'm still kind of curious to see how that works for someone, I say an artist, because most of the stuff that they showed was seemed more along the programming side, and they have their own APIs for certain stuff. Um, for example, uh, they showed off an API where they can change the art style of the game just based on an image that they show. Like for example, yeah, through machine for, for example, the the the, the Starry Night uh, painting from Van Gogh, or as it's Pac-Man was in there. Pac-Man, which was really freaky, by the way. Yeah, it was, was kind of hypnotic. Really, yeah, it was kind of hypnotic, <laughs> but not not for the right reasons. It just looked weird. It's yeah. like, but where are the ghosts going? They just keep disappearing. <laughs> but it was cool that I was able to instantly implement it, instantly implement whatever it saw through machine learning and just apply yeah. it as a, as a texture. Not just as a texture, but a, an active texture. So there was movement in there and... I I'm not a hundred percent sure, but I maybe they it uses some kind of form of bump and normal mapping to make it look like there is um, actual space in between. It looked really weird, especially with the Pac-Man demo. That that looked very. It looked. I'm kind of curious how that works, but um, that is that is a very cool aspect of Stadia. Uh, the other thing is the the ability to just see uh grab a link of the game that you want to play either through discord or twitter or what have you or watching a trailer on youtube and just clicking the play button in that youtube trailer and instantly be playing that game you know assuming the game is out and not something that has been just announced obviously uh that makes it that makes it a very cool aspect of Stadia, which also brings me to another part that they didn't mention, but I think I think that is something that they might do. And if they they haven't announced anything like that, so I'm not hundred percent percent sure that they would. But you know how you have these early access games where you can pay to basically be a beta tester. Well, what if you could do that with Stadia as well? I mean, it's right there, right? People can have instant access to your game. So if you want, you can have early access on Stadia on any device, whenever, wherever, and you instantly have hundreds, hundreds of thousands to, you know, potentially millions of players playtesting your game, telling you what works, telling you what doesn't, and using that feedback to make your game better, which is something that is that has the potential to make games better. And the fact that you can have your game running on Stadia 
on 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 the data centers from Google instead of you know having your own uh, workstation where you have to render stuff and build it there. That is very that has a lot of potential, but I it spit it out. Just say what you want to say. <laughs> like it, well, here's the thing. I I'm a I'm a I'm a I'm a nineties kid. And I know what it, and I've, I have studied game design and game development. It's one of the things that I've done in my life. And I know for a fact that stuff like not having, having to adapt to a very tight situation can spring forth a lot of creativity. And the thing that I've been lamenting of, of the past couple of years is that Developers want more horsepower to do more cool visual stuff, and that's fine. But I'm, I am missing stuff that is more creative that we used to see back in the eight bit and especially the sixteen bit days. So if they have all this, if they have all this potential horsepower to work with, that's great. But that also means that I want to see excellent games come from this from these game developers because if they do the same things over and over and it just has better visual fidelity which we'll come back to in a minute i'll be all for it i'll be a hundred percent for it if we see very interesting games coming out of this they are supporting unity and uh, Unreal, Unreal Engine, CryEngine was uh, also there. CryEngine was also there. Yeah, they had like this big. They had this list of developers, and CryEngine was there. Oh, I, I didn't Cry, see. Cry, yeah, Cryware was there, which is, I believe, Capcom uses Cryware, I believe. Uh, there, there like uses a, MT Framework. They use their own stuff. Yeah, Cryware was there, so I don't remember. There's like a, I believe, a Japanese developer or publisher that uses Cryware, and Havoc is also supported. So they like support the most. The, 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 one of the, the most, bigger the most middleware middle yeah yeah I, I mean that has potential and i'm kind of curious to see how that goes and well yeah the the ability to play anywhere anytime on almost any device that you own has they a also lot of emphasize like the instant access part so there's yeah. no patching there's no starting up it's like click well, and not, within five well, seconds not, you're there well not client side yeah yeah so not on client side, that would all be done on the data centers, um, yeah. which is cool. And th that also has a lot of potential. And that is kind of where I run out of steam about good things to say about this. Because, um, yeah, as, 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 as you stated before, I am skeptical about this for a bunch of reasons. One, and this is probably the most the first and most important part is how the 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 thing that they said that they are capable of doing to promise the, the to promise gamers that the game fidelity is there is that it is the, the connection that you have is normally you have the data center which sends it to uh the i So uh, you said that the stuff about ISPs, I didn't really get that. What, do you, what, do you, what were you saying about the ISP yeah. part? So um, at least the, the, the graphic that they showed was that 
you have the data center, you have your ISP, and then you have the connection to nodes between the nodes between them to connect to your end, which is how it works now. And what they're promising is that they use their infrastructure, the same infrastructure that they use to allow you to Google stuff. That's the direct line that it's using. So it's using end to end. It basically is kind of a peer to peer system that it's using. And that sounds intriguing. But as they were explaining that stuff, and I was telling you this before we started recording, as they were explaining that kind of stuff, my live feed started artifacting. And. <laughs> I was watching this on YouTube. You know, the thing that they want to use to connect you to the game that you want to play. You know, you see the trailer, you want to play the game. And they're, and, I and think they're those... promising 4K 60 frames per second, which is like, okay, first of all, nobody has, like, even, even here, unless you have fiber you're not getting 4K native 60 frames per second to your TV via streaming box at all. So for them to promise that, that is the parts that I'm really skeptical about, especially since they're also promising, yes, and in the future, we're going to even upscale to native 8K and 120 frames per second. And I'm like, I love your enthusiasm. I'm not sure about your execution in this one. I think their promise around that is that the system is built for the future. So it's scalable and more in a way, like if we get to the point that we're going to see more 8k in households, that the system is already there to be able to scale. And to I that get that instead of them catching up to it. Yeah. Right? I mean, I get that. That's the whole point of using the data centers. Right. But that is not something that is around the corner. And again, as I stated before, this is something that you basically will be only able to do through Wi-Fi. You're not going to be able to do this on a 4G network. We don't know that yet, but... Uh... And we know that 5G is at least a half a decade away. Like, at least proper 5G network speeds is at least a half a decade away. So, I, I, get, that there, I get that there's potential in there. But the immediacy of it all, I don't, I think that they're over-promising a little too much. Like, I'm, I, I get that you want to show up, like, I will say this. They showed up Microsoft, and they showed up Microsoft hard in this presentation. Because basically, the rumors, of course, for Microsoft's next-gen is of course having the uh having the, the traditional the console, traditional console and, the and the set top box and of course their google and their uh, google their uh xbox their, their xbox cloud gaming service um they've been talking about it and i'm pretty sure that they were going to talk about it uh during gdc this week so the fact that google was able to basically come underneath them and show this to the world first is kind of taking the wind out of Microsoft sales, especially considering the fact that they tried to pull this stuff off back in 2003 with their always online system and the whole, the power of the cloud allows us to do 
computational stuff in the uh, in the cloud so that you have destructible environments in uh, Crackdown 2003 3. 2013. 2013. Sorry, my bad. Oh. Yeah, 2013. <laughs> I was like, what? Yeah. Yeah, but like, and, and this is what I was thinking about. Just like, this is, it's kind of that Microsoft, I think if Microsoft were to give this keynote, they would say the exact same thing. I think it's a one-on-one -on -one copy because it's everything you would want to hear. And so my question to you is, is, if it was Microsoft that promised this, if it was like a Microsoft event instead of a Google event, would you still be a skeptical or would oh, you yes, be more yes. open no, to it? I mean, because it's, I, I feel like if Microsoft was going to do an event, they would talk about exactly the same thing, about exactly the same developer opportunities and the power. It Because Microsoft is doing the same. They have Xbox One X's, I believe, in their in their data centers. They have like special service that own, but it is in essential the Xbox One hardware they have there. So it's the same stuff that's going to happen, and they'll probably talk about it this E3, and then they'll now they'll have to change their story. But I think this was their narrative, and as you said, Google took the wind well, out of their sails. They have to change their story like this week, since they were going to talk more about it this week. At GDC, yeah. So, but they did show a playable demo last week, and it looked nice. It was Forza Horizon on a Android phone, and it worked seamlessly. Yeah, but it's a racing game, and those are not the most um, uh, graphic intense. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't require the most intensive graphics to look pretty or run stable. Have you seen Forza Horizon 4? Forza I've seen really looks Forza nice. Horizon 4 and it looks pretty. I'm saying that it doesn't don't require something that is either ridiculously stable or ridiculously powerful to show a stream of that because, you know, it's a racing game. But yeah. here's the thing. Even if it was Microsoft, I would still be skeptical. Actually, Scratch that. If it was Microsoft, I would be even more skeptical than I am with Google because the only thing that Google has going for it is that they have the infrastructure. That is the part that I do believe. They have the... And that's the reason they, why it They might have work. the infrastructure in terms of the data centers, and that's the part that I buy. I don't buy that everybody will have the exact same experience all around. That is the thing that I do not buy about this. I think it's going to be be scalable. So it'll be something around, I think that's it's going to be something around um, the base experience is going to be 1080p 60. And then if you have a better internet connection, you might have 2560 at 60 frames. And if you have a super good internet connection, you get 4K. And then maybe they'll scale that, say like, okay, 40, 4K, 4K 30, 4K 60, 4K 60F and, and HDR based on your internet because... They, if they say there's only like one tier and everybody should be able to get that, it's really it's really depending on the internet speed. Yeah. And I think in a lot of places in the state, they're not going to be able to pull oh, it off because no, no, the no, state no. The the rural don't have the, US are not the speeds have we have. Indeed. Like the rural areas, no. no, like not even a little bit. Um, I'm pretty sure there are places in Europe where the internet providers don't have the best options. How is this even going to work with stuff, with places that have capped internets like Spain? I don't know. I don't think, so, so places where you have to, where, where, where they don't have 
um, the equivalent of net neutrality lost, like in Spain or in Portugal. How is that going to work? Because clearly you have to pay a lot just to be able to access certain services. So does that mean that your IPS in Spain, for example, has to is going to be like, oh, a new service. Well, if you want to use that service, you're going to have to pay extra because there they have to pay extra if they even want to use WhatsApp. I'm 100. I'm what? I'm 90 percent sure that that was true. I'll have to double. I have to double check that. But I know that when net neutrality was getting uh, nixed in the U.S., that that was a uh, conversation that came up about Spain and Portugal. Okay. So I'll have to double check that. Um, don't quote me on that. Don't at me on that. <laughs> but that is something that actually came up. And if that is something that's going to happen in the future, where for some reason net neutrality gets completely lifted. Uh, in Europe, now you're suddenly paying a lot more extra just to be able to use Stadia. So, yeah, there is a lot of skepticism. I see a lot of potential, but there's a lot of skepticism with this. And unless Google is suddenly going to come with, oh, we are going to provide a lot of uh, fiber the world around, and they're going to provide you with the internet connection themselves and it comes free and stadia comes free with that i don't know how that's i don't see them doing no exactly so i don't see how and and that's the other thing is they didn't talk about pricing because this is of course a gdc keynote um but i think it's going to be a subscription based model well that's the obvious thing to do of course because it's a service it's not it's not a it's not a traditional platform. It's a service like PlayStation now. Yeah, but they could also go, for example, a different business model could be they offer a store and you just buy the game on that store and then you can play the game as much as you want, but it's only that game. Well, buy in quotes, of course, because it's it's online only. So do yeah. you really own that game? If... if if heaven forbid if something were to happen to the internet and stadia went down or whatever you wouldn't be able to access that game at all yeah everything would be lost your progress your saves. i mean they mentioned by the way that that's something also that you could transfer between different platforms your saves and your progress well, that's because so i'm it's, really curious to see how that's gonna well, that's because it does the same thing that um was something no, but different. for example, that that you the, like what I think, I mean, or at least the way I interpret it is, is I place Assassin's Creed Odyssey on my PlayStation, and then when I pick up, when I go to my bedroom and I turn on my Chromecast and I continue there, that it syncs up that save. No, I don't know if that's going to no, work. No, it doesn't. It, well, they haven't explained that because unless they bring out a Stadia app for the PlayStation Four, I don't think that that's the way it's going to work. Because everything yeah, so is being handled be... on the cloud in the data centers. So that means the way that works is that you're logging into your, or you're picking up the device where you logged into, and you basically clicking on the play button, and it picks up right where you left off. So it, yeah. it probably does something as simple as save states server side. I think, And yeah. then you pick up I, from I, that I'm save curious. state. Because that is also one of the things yeah. that they showed off is that you can actually send a, a world state, a game state 
in the form of a link to your friend and be like, ha, I just beat the world record in, I don't know, Pac-Man or uh, Tetris. Tetris or what is that game that Atlas brought out a couple of years ago? Um, Catherine, for example. So you can send that link and it's it will send you that game state, that exact same game state to a, that friend of yours and they can pick it up right where you put right where you left off and try and get that high score. With the exact same items, the exact same game state that you have. Inventory, Inventory everything. Yeah. Which is a, yeah. another cool aspect. But it's, it's just... <laughs> maybe, maybe you shouldn't have watched the keynote. Maybe, well, maybe I shouldn't have watched... Regardless, whether I watched it or not, it, that, that's what my opinion is going to be around until I actually try it out. Yeah. So I'm... I'm excited. I'm really excited. I'm... Because besides the technical issues, it has potential. Yeah, I'm, I'm not saying it doesn't have potential. I say it has potential. I just... I'm skeptical about if they'll able to meet expectations. And since Project well, Stream was only done in the US, that it has a big sample, uh, sample, uh, sa what's the word I'm looking for? It has a big sample crowd, but at the same time, it's not. You mean you want millions of people to play it to well, be able to you, know if it works or not? The only sample crowd they have is in the U.S. and the and I can only imagine that the only people that were trying it out were people that are into video games that were aware of this. So you know that these people either live in big cities where the internet is at least half decent, so it works. I don't know what I we don't we don't know what the results were when people in rural areas of the U.S. had. They only talked about the positive stuff. But I think that uh, they wouldn't make these promises if they couldn't live up to it. Because otherwise, they, they would downplay it and be vague and just mention like a few things. But they were pretty open and they promised a lot of stuff. So Not if they were I trying to they, make a point. For, yeah, but then they know that it would bite them in the ass and then people would say, oh, yeah, they promised us this uh, three months ago and now look at what it is. It's bad. I don't think they would risk it because they've put a lot of money and time invested in this. So I think they need it to work and they want it to work. And that's why I think they know it works. Says the guy that was so head over heels over the original division. <laughs> and it's also kind of funny that they chose Ubisoft to partner with, considering the fact that they also kind of have not the best track records of showing promise and then end up under-delivering. Assassin's Creed, Odyssey at least, that lived up to the promise. Yeah, but like I said before, the Division original trailer, uh, what was uh, I think Ubisoft Watch Dogs. I think you'll be learned from their mistakes uh, because for example, when I saw the division two at E3 and when I saw it, when I f finally played it in the beta and now 
there's not a lot of difference, at least notable difference for me in, in a case that I say, oh, well, this game is downgraded. Whereas when I played The Division 1 and I thought back at how it looked when they showed it to us, that was a huge difference. Yeah, okay, true. I mean, I'm assuming that they learned from their mistakes. I'm not saying that they didn't. I'm assuming that they did. Um, Ubisoft is really good at redeeming themselves. If, even if they bring out a shitty yeah. game... They fix it in the end. I mean, they did it with Rainbow Six Siege. They did it with For Honor. They're doing it with. They did it with the Division. So, you know, so other developers. Uh, generally, what you see with EA is that they bring it out, and if it kind of tanks, they're like, oh, okay, tanked. And if it's a major franchise for them, such as Battlefield or Battlefront or Anthem, they know that they have to put the money and the time in to make it better. But yeah, I mean, when for example, Need for Speed came out. Uh, I don't. I don't even know when the last Need for Speed came out. But there were a few instances in which Need for Speed games came out, and they really sucked. They didn't really do a lot to fix no, it. But that's EA. Yeah. <laughs> and just a little side note. I don't know if you heard about this since you recently, uh, and we're gonna talk about this in uh, what you've been playing. But uh, you recently. Um, did you hear about the thing with Red Dead Redemption Two, where they brought up a, a brought an, out an update to um, improve the performance, and then they and then they decreased the graphical oh, yeah. <laughs> graphical fidelity of I, the game. <laughs> <laughs> I saw it after I finished. Like you'll hear my thoughts on on Red Dead, but um, a, a quick uh, spoiler: I finished Red Dead. And um, I didn't notice anything, but after I'd finished the game and removed it from my PlayStation, I read the article saying that they downgraded the visuals of the game. <laughs> and I was kind of surprised because, like, oh, okay, I didn't expect this to happen because they they weren't also open about no. it. They were, they, they kind of like, hit it. <laughs> yeah, but, and that's what I said about Rockstar earlier. Rockstar knows how to play the public game because... I, I said this earlier that when they brought out the beta and the, the game still in beta, the Red Dead Online part, the in-game economy was really bad. They would charge you insane amounts for items and people were complaining. And then I read an article, some guy said, yeah, but they're playing the game smart because they're going to fix it within like a week. And they're going to say, we listened to your feedback and based on your feedback, we made adjustments to the in-game economy and now it's a lot better. And then people will say, we feel heard. Rockstar, you're so goddamn amazing. <laughs> we love you because you listen to us. And the, what the guys, the, the prediction of the guy happened within the week, they said, we'll be rolling out an update to improve the in-game economy and we're going to decrease the the price we charge for certain items and we're going to also increase the loot drops or whatever and the gold nuggets and blah 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 and people were like yes they listen to <laughs> us we feel heard we love rockstar and when i saw that it was like people are st we're all just suckers and they're so smart it's all <laughs> part of their plan you know it will yeah <sighs> yeah 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 speaking of online by the way one one thing that they also brought up is how scalable uh, Stavia is for developers in basically multiplayer games. And the example that yeah. they brought up, of course, was Battle Royale, because, of course, everybody would bring up Battle Royale. But basically, Yay. going from a game where you are going against 100 people to hundreds or even thousands of people at the same time and the system not breaking a sweat because it's all run on data servers. Which sounds awesome. 
Do you think about the I don't know if I want to play Battle Royale again with thousand. Yeah. And then you realize that you're a part of something really big, so you're a tiny part of it, and it doesn't matter. Because who would play a Battle Royale where you're playing against a thousand people? You'd never crack the top hundred. What I like about Battle Royale games is that it's it's these quick matches that you play. It, I mean, it lasts 10 minutes, maybe 15 minutes or something like that. But I'm not waiting for a Battle Royale game to last an hour or hours. Speaking of like big multiplayer, remember um, there was this, I think, Sony published multiplayer game where they had these... Mag? Mag! Thank you! Mag. Yeah, 256 yeah, players yeah. but it broke was broken i i like that how game. many squads were like you were broken up into squads of what four or 30, 30 so what they did is something? in the whole map there would be 256 people and then they would just constantly divide it so it would be two armies of 128 and those armies would be divided in 64 and then areas would be populated by 32 people and then you would have squads and commanders there was a proper command chain structure but you all had effect on the overall uh yeah. battle <laughs> uh, it was a fun game uh, it's one of the last games uh, uh zipper interactive made before sony closed them off unfortunately did you how long did you play that game for a good while like maybe a month or two yeah i kind of liked Wait, it did you own the do you but, own the game yeah, I have it, but it's not playable anymore because it's an online uh, game. Yeah, but it was a it was a fun game. I remember when they showed it at E three because it was unheard of two hundred and fifty six players in a server. Uh, it, w- it was pretty cool, but yeah, it just uh, Sony has always struggled with online multiplayer games. I mean, if you look at their multiplayer offerings, um, Uncharted got multiplayer, which was it was fun, but it wasn't really something you would stick around for I don't months. Know why the that Last game of Us even has multiplayer. Yeah, um, the Last of Us got uh, multiplayer, which was a bit more uh, in depth, so had more features, but it was still something that you wouldn't stick around for months. I think that the most people that play multiplayer games on PlayStation are are stuff like Call of Duty or Battlefield, not Sony made games. Sony is. In this gen, Sony's really going down on single-player experiences. Yeah. I don't know. I, well, those are those are my big concerns, at least, with Stadia. Yeah. Um, I mean, I guess we'll see. Um, we still have Google I.O. to look forward to. Um, since I doubt that they would do anything for E3. That would be cool if they did something around E3. That would be interesting if they... Actually, they, yeah. they could literally hijack the whole news feed if they just shadow-dropped uh, Stadia or uh, a public beta of Stadia during yeah. E3. That w- because then that would be the news cycle all around. What what we have to keep in mind is that Google, as of today, has become a first party developer because their Stadia Games and Entertainment division is actually going to make games for Stadia. And I was so, skeptical, and then I saw Jade Raiden, and then I was like, "Well, shit." That that is actually <laughs> someone legitimate. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I think that um, let, let's put it this way: I think people that have been working in the industry for years and are looking for something new might actually go to Stadia, and I think that they will draw a lot of talent. Um, and I think that people shouldn't underestimate them because because Google is such a big company, it could inadvertently also mean that they have like a blank check to make games 
within reason, of course. Well, of so, course. yeah. So there's also a lot of potential there for them to come up with experiences. The question is, is what are they going to do? What are they going to do? Mm. And in what timeline will it be? Stuff that comes out this year, will it be like smaller indie games or will it be like big triple A games? We don't know about any of those. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I mean, at this point, oh, I mean, I've I've laid it all out there. I've gotten all all of it out there for you guys to enjoy. <laughs> I hope you did. I I got nothing anymore. The only thing I can do is. The only thing any of us can do is wait and see uh, until that uh, platform finally uh, launches and we can experience it ourselves. Uh, there was one thing, though, that um, I want to touch upon before we end this segment. It's one thing that we didn't talk about yet. Is they, The presentation went in three segments. It was the create, the play, and the sharing aspect of it yeah and the sharing aspect of it is, is basically the community and stuff where uh your favorite youtuber is uh, also big swipe at twitch by the way with that stuff yeah. <laughs> damn man giving the slap to, to, to amazon with that one but uh yeah basically if you see if you see a a you your favorite gaming youtuber play a certain game, for example, a, a sports game like NBA, uh, they can invite their community to play with them. So they can queue up as if you're queuing up in for matchmaking, for matchmaking in an arcade or whatever. And, you know, like back in the day where you used to put the like your quarter down so you know, like I'm the next one in line to kick your ass with Sagat and Street Fighter 2, stuff like that. And that that is... That is a cool aspect, and it brought uh, MatPat from from the game uh, from the game theorists uh, out, and uh, to explain more about the possibility of interacting with with the audience, and it is a and that also has a big potential. But also, I'm still wondering how that works. Do you have to be? Uh, do you have to be someone who owns? a membership to to stadia to be able to participate or not uh i think I, it is because otherwise you won't be able to play it yeah so i'm kind of curious how that aspect pans out but the potential to have better engagement is there and which is also interesting for us um to see how that works out but yeah big the Google took some big pot shots at a bunch of companies, Microsoft, Twitch, uh, and basically the whole gaming industry as a whole. Basically, anybody that has a gaming, that, that, that has their own game platform, so basically Microsoft, Sony, and Nintendo. Um, I'm really worried about Sony because Sony has PlayStation now, and it's been a while since I've used it. But... Um, Sony is a, traditionally, Sony is a hardware company. Yeah. They're not a software company. And to be able to pull this off, you need a, an ex, like a perfect blend of hardware and software. Um, and Sony might be able to pull something off with hardware, but as it is now with PlayStation Now, for example, 
I'll try it again so I can get like an updated look at it. But at the time, it wasn't the, the fastest or the best service, even though they took over Gaikai and OnLive. So they had all the patents and all the knowledge in-house. Um, it still wasn't what I kind of expected of it. So um, I, I'm worried that because I believe Microsoft is leaning on their Azure infrastructure, mm -hmm. which is from what I heard for businesses, it's amazing. So Google might pull this off because they have the infrastructure. Microsoft will pull this off because they have the infrastructure plus the software knowledge. Microsoft software is really strong. And then Sony is going to come up with something. And I really hope that it's that it'll be something to be able to compete. In a way, they have a head start because they have PlayStation now, so they can iterate on that. But in a way, I'm still concerned because, yeah, um, they could still drop the ball on this. I guess... Yeah, only time will tell. Actually, um, before we round off, I don't know if you knew this, but I heard today that Sony is doing a kind of Nintendo Direct thing for E3 instead. I haven't heard yeah, about I ha that. I will have to look into that because I'm not 100% sure if that is accurate. It's just that's something that I heard. So we'll look into it and maybe we'll discuss it in uh, the next episode when we have more details because it is hazy because they said that EA is doing a Nintendo style direct also for instead of a press conference. So I don't even know where we are anymore. What is this timeline that we are in? Google, enter is, Google entering is the, the game apart. industry. They have their own game <laughs> studio. And they're streaming games to every device known to man. Ludicrous! <laughs> this is the weirdest timeline yet. Well, it, it might start to signal in the end of the consoles. We'll, like I think we'll have another traditional generation after oh, this one. Yeah. Traditional boxes. But after that, uh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know it's, if it's necessarily the end for consoles. Because the only thing that I can say is that I can pick up my Switch right now. If I want to play a game, I can play it right now if I own it. If my internet goes down for whatever reason, like, for example, if there's a huge blackout in my neighborhood, I won't be able to play it. Like, even what happens when your game suddenly gets cut off? Does it, end, does it automatically go into a safe state? We don't know. We don't know. We'll have to wait and see um, for, that, for, for, for all that and more uh, coming from Google and their... Stadia, uh, I guess, cloud platform. platform. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, wow, that is a really huge segment. Um, so, yeah. Uh, hope we'll, we'll dive yeah. into this in we'll, the future. We'll dive we more, more into this in the future. So uh, stick around, guys. Uh, this is the end of the news segment. Uh, we've, we had more news segment. Uh, we had more news articles. That we wanted to talk about, but this dropped on the day that we were recording. So, and and there was a lot to talk about and a lot to, I guess, vent from my end. So, uh, yeah. Um, if you've been listening so we'll far, we'll be right back after this. <laughs> stick around, we'll be right back. <laughs> And we're back, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, we're here with our second segment, which is uh, what you've been playing. So, Sean Templar, since you've been having some amazing luck with off time, 
Tell us, what have you been playing? Um, I've only been tw playing two games, actually. Uh, one of them is uh, I finally finished Red Dead Redemption 2. No two. way. Yeah, I finally did it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I know there's I know there's one specific listener out there who's going to be very happy to hear that. So good on you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know, because like, I, I think I already spoke to that person and I told him that uh, I finished the game. And then he said that he tried to finish the game as well. But he said, like, I can't push myself to do it anymore. Wait, I'm he not did? play that game anymore. Oh, that yeah. is such a hypocrite thing to say. <laughs> oh man yeah, yeah, all right yeah, yeah, okay yeah. fine that's fine but yeah. uh so uh was it worth it honestly no like um i'm gonna i'm gonna give everybody a huge spoiler warning right now i am going to spoil the game i'm going to spoil the ending so if you don't want to know how it ends or if you don't want to know what's going to happen next then maybe skip a few minutes I'll, uh, ahead, I'll, add, I'll add the timestamps to the uh, show notes uh, for this week. So uh, cool. when we end the the spoiler uh, talk about Red Dead Redemption, um, just check the notes. If you don't want to get spoiled, you can skip to the time code in the notes. Yeah. Yeah. So what happens is, is that in Red Dead Redemption, you play as the character Arthur Morgan, which is a really cool character. You're part part of the Dutch Vanderlyn gang, and if you've played Red Dead Redemption One, you know that Dutch Vanderlyn is one of the bad guys you play against in the first game, and you end up killing him in the first game as well. Here, you get more of like a, a, a look in the past, how how things started. Um, in the beginning of the game, Dutch is this really cool, likable guy, but he starts to change toward the end of the game. Um, your character eventually becomes ill and gets tuberculosis mm. so he knows he's gonna die yeah that's pretty nasty um so like there's this point in the game in which you uh, start to cough and you fall off your horse you go see a doctor and then the doctor says oh well i'm sorry to tell you but you have tuberculosis or you're gonna die oh yeah bummer it is it is uh cowboy times and they weren't really yeah yeah but <laughs> what i what i liked it about like a twist as that was that the, your character like it has, takes a completely different perspective like, it looks completely different on everything he starts to think more like okay how can i leave an impact how can i do something for the good instead of just keep on doing what i did so it changes your character's perspective mm. a lot which makes it amazing from a story point and a character development point um you start to question uh, dutch more you start to help other people more um the game also has this mechanic in which you can be like uh a good cowboy and a bad cowboy and based on where you are in that meter you get different cutscenes and possibly also different endings i don't know specifically about that but i've heard people say like hey i didn't get that or hey my cutscene was different like you had a good interaction with that person i had a bad interaction with that person um what what, what happens is, is eventually your character's health starts to like become bad and then eventually you have this mission that you play and you get into a fight and then you run off and you get chased by the military and blah 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 a lot of stuff happens and your character eventually goes into a fight and then he kind of dies in the fight because of his tuberculosis like he's, he falls down on a rock side and in the mountains and then he sees the sun rising and then he passes away the game fast forwards a couple of months or 
couple of years, I believe. I believe a couple of months or years, whatever. Like time passes, and then suddenly you play as John Marston <laughs> with your family. Um, like you're, adults, you're on the John run. Marston? Yeah, it's like the same John Marston. From the first game. Like in the, yeah, yeah, but John Marston is also in the yeah, second as game. A kid, so, right? No, no, no. His son is in the game, but he's like he's younger, but it's still like an adult John oh, Marston. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so you play as John Marston, and then there's some stuff happened. Apparently, they don't explain what happened, and then you kind of move into this. Um, you go to one of the earlier villages called Strawberry, I believe, and then there you try to find work. You get help. You get work as a ranch hand, but that's the part where like the game starts to really slow down. It, it, the game goes into an epilogue and then the epilogue itself lasts two hours, three hours, but you're doing these you these boring missions. You, one mission, you're literally sh shoveling shit of a cow. <laughs> well, and then the other, yeah, I, I, I shit you Well, you are a ranch. And then, uh, yeah, but like, and then another mission, you learn how to milk a cow. And then one mission, you have to build a fence. And I understand that they're trying to tie the first Red Dead Redemption to this game because eventually you buy land and you buy your ranch and you build your ranch and then you can see where you're going to if you play Red Dead 1 because then your ranch is already there. But it just takes too long. It's there's Eventually I got bored and bored of it. I, I, I thought, okay, I just want to finish this. So I started just only doing the main mission so I can get through to it with it. And then I just wanted to finish it so I can remove it because it just took so much time. Mm. And that's kind of a bummer because if they had ended with Arthur's death, it would have been fine. You know, just do, do something there in which one of the characters you fight against dies and then end it there. Yeah. You know, then we can like... Fill in the blanks, maybe we know like okay, it's gonna it's gonna continue in Red Dead One, but now they're they're dragging it out. It's just taking so long, and then the last mission you have to go into the mountains and kill Micah, which is the character that killed Arthur in a way, and then Dodge shows up there as well. It's just it just took a long while to get there. Eventually, I really got into this mode like okay, I just want to go to the one. Okay, this is taking too long. I want to skip this. I want to get through this. I want to finish this instead of enjoying the game, you know. And that's kind of my str my my struggle with it. This it's the way it it ends. Besides that, I love the game, but really they should have fixed the ending. They should have done something else about the ending. It just took too long. Okay. Um. Because what I did afterwards is I removed the game from my PlayStation. I finished the game, got the trophy, ended the game, removed the game, done. <laughs> yeah <laughs> all right so yeah. um with that in mind then what 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 is it that you would have changed to the end and like would you have kept the epilogue but done it differently or just like get rid of it all all, all together like does it like the epilogue as it is right now does it add more to john marston's story for you as someone who's played and finished Red dead redemption one let me put it this way. Yes, I get a bit more insight into who John Marston is or what drives him. Uh, you see him struggling with with the choices he made. You see him struggling with becoming a family man instead of being the bank robber that he was. You see him getting into fights with his wife. His wife leaves him for a period and then he starts to think about his life. He's saying like, okay, I can't do this. I need to grow up. I, I chose this life now, so I have to be a, a family man i have a kid now so from a character development point like it's amazing because you really see his character grow through these multiple phases but 
um, from a gameplay mo point of view, I think that it, yeah, if they hadn't put it in, I would have been satisfied as well because I, when I did the mission that you have to build the fence or milk the cow, I was really thinking, okay, why am I doing this? This feels like filler content. They just have to fill this moment so I can move to another mission. Give me a cutscene, you know, show me that he's doing that so that I know that he's done that and then I can just play the mission, you know. Um, I like dramatic ending. So for my, if it were up to me, they could have just ended it with like a big fight with Arthur and Micah and Dutch and uh, something happens and, and Arthur kills Micah and then Arthur dies as well because of his wounds or whatever, but he's got that revenge he wanted. Ended there, you know, I would have been happy. All right. Okay, cool. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, and the other game I've been playing is uh, The Division 2. We're, we're talking about it for the third time in this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, the game finally came yeah. out. And uh, funny thing is, is um, I did something stupid that I didn't think I would do. I had pre-ordered uh, the game on disc. And then I picked up that like if you buy the gold edition, which is the one with the season pass mm -hmm. in it, you uh, get to play the game three days yeah. earlier. So I'm talking to this friend of mine. I'm saying, okay, hey, I'm thinking about buying the gold edition so I can play the game three days earlier, which is actually stupid because I'm going to spend a hundred bucks on this game so I can play it three days earlier because the season pass doesn't really have content in it that justifies the buying of a season pass. All story-driven content is going to be free for everybody. So the season pass only gives you earlier access to yeah. stuff. And then he said... Yeah, we, maybe we should we shouldn't buy it because uh, you know, hundred bucks is a lot to put in this game. We did it on the first one, and we don't know if it was the best choice. Like, okay, couple of days pass. He sends me a message. Says, "Hey, I need you to help me to convince me not to buy the gold edition." And I said, "Why?" He said, "Well, my brother's birthday is coming up, and I want to buy the division for him. So I'm thinking of giving him my original pre-order, so I can buy the gold edition." And then I said, well, I'm the worst person to ask because I'm on the verge of buying the gold edition. I was as actually hoping you could persuade me not to buy the gold edition. <laughs> <laughs> and, so, and then we had this moment in which we say, yeah, F it. Okay, let's do this. And then we both bought the gold edition through the PlayStation Store. I had the whole week off, so I literally waited till midnight that day. And then it was midnight, the game unlocked, I played three hours, and then the day after I woke up early and started playing. I don't think um, there was I, I don't reached... think there's ever been a time where I went either on the PlayStation uh app or just turned on my PlayStation without seeing you playing the division. But <laughs> with the exception of last night, um, because it was late. <laughs> but you have been on constantly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was talking. If people, I was talking to this other, uh, um, other, uh, other acquaintance of mine, and we were like, "Oh, yeah, bet you five bucks if you go to the app right now, you'll see Sean playing Division Two. And right as he picked <laughs> it up, like right as he picked up the app and he went in there, it's like, "Yep, he's on like, like, oh, of course he is." <laughs> like, yeah. Oh man, that was. You know, the funny thing is that like <laughs> I um, the first two two or three trades, I really played a lot. And then 
days after, I really wanted to play a lot, but I constantly kept being bugged by people like, hey, we need to, can you help me out with this? Or, hey, I need to do this. Or my grandmother asked me like, hey, we need to go do grocery shopping. Can you help me out? Or, hey, I want to do this. And every time I started up the game, I was playing the game for 10, 15, 20 minutes. And then somebody comes at me and asks me to help him out. You can't really say no in those situations. So I would just really get frustrated. <laughs> I would yell at the TV, turn off my PlayStation and do other stuff. And that really, that, it got, really got to me eventually. I thought, why do I have time off if I can't use my time off? Why do I have to do these other stupid things where I just want to play this game? It really frustrated it's me. Called I thought, life. Wow, this is a game. Yeah, I thought, <laughs> okay, this is strange that I'm feeling this towards a game. But yeah, um, I played it a lot. I reached uh, level 30 a couple of days How ago. Many hours I'm uh, in the end game. I haven't checked, but I think uh, I think I'm in a lot. Like I I played a lot of hours. And the funny thing is, is I didn't only play the main mission. So if I went into an area, I did everything in the area, and then I moved on to the mm. next area. Um, the cool thing about it is that because of that, my level was always one or two levels higher than the minimum requirement. So I would have been go easier through the game. And I've mentioned this before, but the, the struggle I have with these kind of games is that if you play it with someone else, at least if I play it with someone else, I really don't get the focus on the story because you're constantly talking to someone or you're focused on other stuff. So the story would always go, just go past me and I wouldn't really know what the story is about. So I played this game alone, at least the single player, I played completely on my own. And I loved it because it way, this way I could just see what the game was about. I could learn stuff about the story. It wasn't really hard by myself. So that was also nice. Uh, the enemies really scale well when you're playing with multiple people. Um, there's a lot of content in the game. I, I, I feel like I've only reached the half of what's possible from a content perspective. Um, and I saw today that the first reviews are starting to come in. I believe Game Informer gave it a nine and they said that it's the first proper live service shooter done right. So I think Ubisoft has a winner with this. And in, in the end, at this point now, I'm, I feel I'm okay having spent 100 euros on this game because I, I think I got my money's worth out of it. And I'm going to play it on, in the months to come. So Awesome. Oh, that's good to hear. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, that's all for me. Yeah. I'm... I know you've been playing a lot of cool stuff. Yes, I have. I've been I've been getting my game up on Tetris ninety nine as per usual. I know I bring it up almost every time, but it needs to be repeated. I am trying to get better at the game, so yeah. I whenever I get a chance, I pick up a few rounds of Tetris ninety nine. I actually got good again to get close to the top ten, which is a huge like huge improvement over what I, how I've been playing over the past couple of weeks where. I got into the top 10 once, and I haven't been there since. The closest I've been so far was 11. I literally needed just one <laughs> more person to get KO'd. And I thought I made it, because I thought I was in the top 10, and then I got KO'd, and then it said 11. I was like, no! Why? <laughs> like, so close. But, yeah, I mean, as I've stated before, I feel myself getting better as a Tetris player, and that's also the reason why I keep at it, because it's also, again, as I said before, you know, as long as you have an internet collection, it's very easy to jump into a match. When you get uh, when you get defeated, it's very easy to re to restart and get into another room and start the whole process over and over again. So 
for me, that is just an easy thing to do. But as someone promised a couple of episodes ago, someone got me a game for my PlayStation, um, which we celebrated its two-year anniversary and its 10 million sales of like a month ago, almost. I wonder who that someone would be. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was Sean Templar. He actually came through, you guys. He actually got me a copy of Horizon Zero Dawn, the complete edition. And I've actually been playing through it. Um, whenever um uh whenever I actually had the chance to play it. So yeah, so basically whenever whenever I wasn't, you know, working. Um which you know, I was surprised to see you <laughs> online that often. You say about you, you're talking about me with the division, but when I was playing the division, I had these instances and I was just checking who was online. I'm like, huh, <laughs> Maximilian, what? He's playing Horizon Zero Dawn, and then I would check a few hours later. And he's still online. Did he leave his PlayStation on, or is he just playing the game? And then a couple of days later, I would see still you playing. I was. Completely shocked. I promised that I would play it and I promised that I would finish it. So I'm not going to talk about it a lot this week. I'm just going to, because I'm only still in the starting area, I just finished the big major chapter, you know, when you finally leave uh, Mother's Hearth. So I'm doing that stuff. I just discovered the, um, what do you call it again? The trails uh, or the trials. Was it trails or trials? Trails, right? The trial you need to do to be like accepted into the Nora or no 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 that's the that's the the what's it called again that's the proving I already already passed that oh okay point. yeah oh, I okay, already passed cool. that point so I'm out of the village and I'm like actually finding it I actually yesterday yesterday like last night I um I climbed my first uh tall head or tall tall, tall neck. neck yeah that's the one. Yeah, that's pretty yeah, that cool. That was pretty cool. Yeah. So, and then I looked at the map. I'm like, oh, that's a pretty huge map. I totally, it's a really I totally huge forgot map. that this yeah. map was pretty huge. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm steadfast going to play through it. Um, I'll try to, I'll try and check in every once in a while and let you guys know how it's going. But I'm not, I'm not gonna go like into a big, uh opinionated piece or uh, whatever just yet until I actually finish the game. And I promise that I will finish the game once I get it. And I'm going to do that. So uh, everybody just sit tight. Sean Templer, sit tight. I will finish the game and I will give my honest opinion about the whole experience, including the the, the DLC, the Frozen Wilds, because that's a part of the complete edition. Um, if you have to give an opinion right now, what would you say? Like initial impressions. Well, my initial impressions are the same as they were two years ago, which is this is a very good game. I Guerrilla Games actually hit it out of the park with this one, not only because it's a new IP, but it's a new IP that's actually legitimately fun. The only reason, the only other reason that, well, the only other other reason that I wasn't playing it at the time is because a I didn't own a PlayStation back then, and two. My focus was on Breath of the Wild, and the thing that I noticed when I played Breath of the Wild for like a week, and then I went to a friend's place and played um, Horizon Zero Dawn, is that my complete 
motor function skills do not they don't map over because horizon has a lot of button inputs like a lot of things that you need to be aware of where as in breath of the wild you don't have that it's more simplified but yet even though the controls are simpler in quotes they do a lot with it whereas in horizon zero dawn they have a lot of controls which you can do a lot with and you're always expanding because as you move on you get new abilities um so for i mean for now it's it's still as fun as i remembered it two years ago we'll see if that'll hold up throughout the entire experience but i'll let you guys know um as i go through it so yeah look forward to at least something that resembles a review from me in the next couple of hopefully weeks as long as i have time to like really get into it i mean after i mean after we we're done recording i'm going back to playing that anyway so um hopefully i'll get through it as fast as i can and not get distracted by all the side questing we're all in suspense please don't keep us in suspense so long (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean right right now i think i'm about uh, I'd have to check my records, but I think I'm about ten or so hours in already. So you know that 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 should give you an indication that I have been distracted by some stuff. I actually wanted to make sure that before I finish chapter one, um, I do everything that was available. So now that I'm in the open, I'm gonna be like more focused on at least getting the story done as quick as possible, and maybe doing some more side stuff that can aid me during the main mission do the side stuff that's the only tip i'm going to give you do the side stuff because the side stuff is going to work its way back into the main story so you'll be happy that you did all the side stuff when you reach some of the missions in the end cool good to know yeah that's all i'm going to say all right (laughs) and uh with that i guess we'll be ending this first segment um on really briefly and we'll be back with our third segment so sit right back and we'll be right back. <laughs> I don't know. I'm trying to end this and I can't end it. But <laughs> we'll be right back after this segment. And welcome back to the final segment of this episode where we look at our hidden gems. Um, last week I started it off, so Sean Templer, if you would, what is your hidden gem of this week? Thank you. My uh, hidden gem for this week is a PlayStation 3 game, which is called uh, Warhawk. I don't know if you remember Warhawk. Oh, I remember Warhawk. Um, that is, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I remember that very well. That was the most awkward um what stage was it demo, called again i think six six axis stage demo yeah. where they were <laughs> the year prior were like oh look at what the wii is doing with their waggle controls isn't that cute and then they suddenly got sued so they can use rumble and then they're like rumble is last gen and then all of a sudden at e3 2006 they suddenly have the six axis controller and <gasps> what is that Motion control in a Sony game? Nani? What? <laughs> <laughs> Dude, 
I'm sorry, but that demo was so incredibly awkward. It made me laugh and I just rolled over the floor. To be honest, E3 26, 2006, bro. 2006 was awkward. I mean, I, I was it was it not oh, the only, same only for only for yeah, Sony. Was it was it not the same E3 in which Kazirai said it's Ridge Racer. Ridge That's Racer. <laughs> Man, that yeah. that 2006 yeah. had like the yeah. best. Like the best moments for like memeable moments oh, for my God. at least the, the Sony well, I, I remember and this is like off track but a couple of years ago Ubisoft had um, a uh, presenter for their uh, E3 keynote and he, I don't know what the guy's name was but his nickname was Mr. Caffeine I don't know if you remember that guy oh no that oh, guy yeah, was yeah. so yeah. annoying yeah. it was like nobody I, I didn't watch I didn't I, I didn't watch the presentation I just remember the he movie. was well I watched the whole presentation and it was so annoying he would uh, yeah, he would he would do these moments and we just said, okay, so now we're gonna look back at an old franchise. So let's do a flashback, and then he would do the sounds like, doo, 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 doo. and then people would look at him like, this is so awkward. Why am I sitting here? And to be fair, after that one, they got uh, I believe she's a comedian, uh, Alicia Yadi Yadi is her name. I don't know what her last name is. She's been presenting for a couple of years now. Um, she was also a little bit on the awkward side. You, you know, the thing is with gamers is that they're not susceptible to that, like, sometimes awkward, sarcastic humor. Sometimes they just look at you and they think, I have no idea what you're talking about. And then she expects the crowd to laugh as, it, as if she's giving a stand-up show and people would just look at her and say, oh, is that supposed to be funny? Wait, you, mean the voice, you mean the voice actor for... Uh... No, no, no. The the, the the woman that presented the E three for UB a couple of years after uh, after uh, Mr. Caffeine. Let me check what her Alicia. Tyler. Yeah, that's the one, Alicia Tyler. Yeah, Aisha, Ty Aisha, Aisha Tyler. Aisha yeah, Tyler. Yeah, yeah, she. Yeah, she, she, she does, she does voice work for um, Archer. Oh, I didn't know that. She's like the main love interest. She's. Uh, I I remember that she was uh, in Watch Dogs in one of the missions. She could get killed. I don't know if she. Got killed or she could yeah, get what's killed. What's wrong with her? She was awesome. She was at least like a million times better than Mr. Caffeine. Yeah, time. but what I mean is Ubisoft never kind of nailed it after the Mr. Caffeine debacle because they kind of got her and she she was an upgrade compared to how Mr. Caffeine was, but it was still a bit awkward. But Goodbye, like anyways, <laughs> back 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 to back to Warhawk yeah, and yeah. how much you want a fanboy about Warhawk. So Warhawk started out as a single player plus multiplayer game when it was announced and eventually when the game released it was just a multiplayer game. Um it was one of those first true multiplayer games on the PlayStation that really really was cool. It in a way it's it's almost like a Battlefield. It's uh it has same modes, kind of same mechanics but with a uh, with a different sauce on top of it i really liked the game it was one of those first games i really because it was also one of the first games that came out on playstation 3 that was multiplayer only that until that moment we always got used to single player games plus multiplayer games and it was really like was that game six was that game 60 years uh no i believe you could buy it for 30 online or you could buy it with for 60 in the store but then you would get a headset with it oh okay that's Oh, okay. Well, that, that seems yeah, so um, the game, um, 
it, it, it's, as I said, it's a multiplayer-only game, 32 people online. It has vehicles, it has uh, tanks, jeeps, airplanes, uh, different kinds of weapons, and then you have different kinds of modes in it, like Capture the Flag or Domination or Team Deathmatch. And you would have these... I remember the, the, one of the first multiplayer games in which I liked all the maps. Generally, with multiplayer games, there are some maps you like, some maps you don't like. But this was one of those games that it, that I liked and loved every map that was in the game. And they also supported the game after launch with booster packs, as they called it, which weren't really... Ex they were pretty cheap expansion packs. You would always get at least one map, at least one new vehicle, new weapons, and they would still support the game post-launch with updates. They would add critical features to the game, such as a uh, wrench in which you could fix uh, your vehicles or damage vehicles, which is a cool mechanic to add after launch. Um, I believe it's one of those games that's still playable online right now on the PlayStation 3. Sony, yeah, really? Sony even extended the server down like normally what sony does is after a couple of years they just shut down the servers for certain games because they don't get played and warhawk was on the list to get shut down and they postponed the shutdown of the servers last year um with a couple of weeks or a couple of months and if you think about it the game is i think over 10 years old now and it you could still oh, play yeah. it i mean it, it was a launch title so it, it came out it in came the same out, year i believe like, it it it, it it came out holiday oh six so that's way more than that, that's thirteen years. Well, I think it, it came a little bit after the the launch of the game. It came out six six months after the launch of the PlayStation Three. You sure? Because I thought it was. I thought it was in the summer, I believe. Now, let me double check real quickly before we uh, make more mistakes. That's where I'm going to drop it out. That uh, game. Well, 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 Mass Effect Andromeda was a mistake on its own. Yeah, it's a 2007 game, and it came out in August 2007, so six months after. Oh, yeah. really? Yeah, I remember, because that was the first game I bought with a credit card. I have to beg my mom to use a credit card to buy the game. <laughs> yeah, because I didn't have a credit card at the time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and the funny thing is the game had uh, a bug shortly after release that uh, the progression system was, in a way, bugged, so you would uh, level up too fast whereas your original level was lower and then you would get unlocks destined for other levels and then eventually they patched that in and then uh, they also you mean they patched it out. yeah patched it out yeah sorry <laughs> um, <laughs> and then um, they a couple of years later they also released a, uh, a sequel to the game called starhawk um that one did have a single player but it was a game set in space whereas warhawk was just a ground-based game so no spacey stuff in there and then in the sequel you would be like this uh, resource miner on a on mars or something like that and then your warhawk which is a plane could also transform into a robot whereas in the original warhawk your plane could either fly or it could transform and be like a hovering mode and you know i, I never really played starhawk that much it didn't have that magic that warhawk did I kind of hope Sony re-releases Warhawk, like remasters it or something, and just brings it out on PlayStation 4 or whatever's next. Because it was one of those really hidden gems that for 30 bucks you could get a lot of fun out of the game. I wasn't really good at it, but it still didn't think. You could even do four-player split-screen online. So you could have four friends at home and then play online against other people. Which rarely, yeah, okay. which rarely happened, yeah. Awesome. 
Uh, um, yeah, the game is listed still on the PlayStation Store, but for whatever reason, it doesn't allow me the option to buy the game, just to try the demo. Yeah. Weird. Um, so, I don't know if that's still live, but the demo is still I still live. have it on my PlayStation 3, so uh, let me check uh, if we can uh, turn that baby on and uh, play a match. Sure. Yeah. Cool. All right. Anything else to add about Warhawk? If anybody from Sony is listening, please remaster this game and bring this to PlayStation 4 or whatever, because we need this. And make it a battle royale. No, 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 don't make it a battle royale. (laughs) (laughs) You know that that's what they would do now. I don't hope so. You know that that's what they would do. Sony Sony doesn't have a battle royale game, if I look at it. Does Sony have a battle royale game? But they don't need a battle royale game. Exactly. Sony has said, and I believe it's Sean Layden or at least one executive at Sony, I think it's Sean Layden who said it. They said at Sony Worldwide Studios, we're really good at focusing on single player experiences and going forward into the future slash the next generation. We also want to focus on multiplayer experiences. Um, They don't have to, but if they'll make cool multiplayer games, that'll be (laughs) awesome. And that is not a battle royale? Let me put it this way. Yes, battle royale is super popular, but it's just, it's a trend. And with all trends, eventually it will just fade away. And we're being rushed by battle royale games right now. I mean, Battlefield's Battle Royale Firestorm is coming out next Monday. So it's a, that's on the 25th. So I can't wait to hear your impressions on it and how long you play oh, I'm gonna, it. Uh, I'm going to tell you all about it. But... Um, yeah, let me put it this way. There's going to be this point in, in which people think, oh, this, the, the 30th or the 50th Battle Royale game, I'm fed up with those games. And I hope Sony doesn't at least bring out a Battle Royale game in that moment. If they're going to do one, they, do, they need to do one soon and it needs to be something unique. Whereas what we're seeing a lot now besides Apex Legends is... If a game we already know and they just try to cram in a battle royale game just so the, so it has battle royale so it can, can appeal to the fans, you know, battle royale it doesn't have to be. You don't have to put a game, battle royale mode in your game. Just, I don't know, do something else. Do something original. All right. Yeah. Cool. Hey, so you also have a hidden my... gem and I know it was difficult to find one, so... Yeah, I mean, so a little bit of a, a a little bit of a back backstory. I had a very good hidden gem, which I thought of last week, and I was not smart enough to actually make a note of it so that I would remember it for this week because I thought, oh, I won't forget this, and then I forgot. <laughs> I the only thing I can remember is that I know for certain that it was a GameCube title. I just don't know which GameCube title I was thinking of. So. I'll leave that for another day. I'll probably come. I'll probably remember it sometime down the road. But in the meantime, there is another game that is one and exclusive because um, it is a Wii exclusive, and two, it is an exclusive mostly because of how difficult it was to get the Western version out, which is none other than the fighting crossover. Tatsunoku versus Capcom, which is, in my opinion, the most fun I've had with a 
crossover Capcom fighting game since Marvel vs. Capcom 2. And, well, that alone sings it a lot of praise. But like I said before, the reason that for me this is a hidden gem is because of the history behind this game and how against basically all odds this game even came out in the West because originally when Capcom announced Tatsunoko vs. Capcom, they saw it as a game that was only going to come out in Japan because there it's very easy to get the license for the characters because all they have to go do is go up to Tatsunoko Productions, which is this big production uh, house of anime, which if you don't know who Tatsunoko Productions is, you should know titles like Tekaman Blade, um, Gacha Man, uh, well, damn it, what, what else? Ah, oh, there's, like, like, they do a lot of amazing stuff they did. Um, fudge. For those that are old enough to know this title, Bob in a Bottle was a Saban licensed anime that came out in the early to mid 90s about a, well, a sneezing uh, genie that grants wishes. And you have to sneeze to get him out of the bottle so that he can grant wishes for you. And when you sneeze again, he goes back in the bottle. Oh, uh, okay. And it doesn't come out until you sneeze again. Yeah. By, by the way... So instead of, you know, like rubbing the yeah. lamp, it does that. But the point is, is that that was easy for them to do in Japan because all they have to do is go to Tatsunoko Productions and say... These are the characters that we want to license for our crossover fighting game. In the West, all these properties are spread out across a whole bunch of license holders, which made it a lot more difficult and basically near impossible for Capcom to do. So initially they said, we are not bringing this game out in the West at all because the licensing deal alone would be a considerable nightmare. But the fan outcry was so big that they actually listened and they brought the game out in the West. Minus a few characters that were impossible for them to license. But the game still reached um, Western Store Shores. And I got that game and I love that game so much. It is such a fun, it's a fun, simple fighting game that you can just pick up and play. It's very basic, like the Marvel versus Capcom games, of course, uh, that you played before, but even, even still that same simplicity of uh, you have punch, kick, and special attack, and you can make really awesome combos with that with a lot of effects and a lot of cool characters just fighting off against one another. Um, it is the, it was up until that point the only crossover game that had Frank West in it from. Um, from uh damn it what's that capcom game called again with the zombies resident evil do you remember it no not <laughs> resident evil the other one dead rising um dead rising thank you frank was from dead rising that was the only crossover game they was in until you know uh, marvel versus capcom 3 uh but yeah it it's also the only as far as i can tell because i haven't played Marvel vs. Capcom 3 in quite a while, so I don't remember this. But it is also the only one that references Rival Schools. Oh my god, Capcom, for the love of crap. Rival Schools. 
let's do that stuff mm-hmm. again. But yeah. <laughs> like this is a very fun game and to me it's very special because I'm never going to see this again on any other system. They are never going to port this uh, at least not in the west. They might do that in the in Japan somewhere down the line, I hope. And if they do, I will pick up the import version because yeah, just knowing the effort that went through to get this game localized and in the West and in fans' hands and that it was partially a fan effort that made this possible is why it holds a special place in my heart and in my collection. By the way, the the Tekaman Blade character, is he playable in this game? Yeah. Because yeah, yeah. I, I wrote... Both versions, by the way, because there was a... There was a version that came out in Japan only like back in the, I want to say back in the 80s or in the 70s. And then they had a 90s reboot. So both versions of Technoman. Yeah, because I remember when I was growing up as a kid, there was this show, anime show called Technoman. And I would watch it and I I, I loved it. I didn't know it was Technoman Blade, but I loved that. So it's kind of cool that it kind of got into a game. And his moveset is is on brand and he's oh, that's awesome nice. that's cool so, i didn't know that yeah nice yeah. cool and um did you like the thing with fighting games is that there's not really it is there anything to do to, prog- to progress to, through the game or is it more that you just play the game yeah yeah i mean it has an art i mean it has all the trappings of an of a fighting game so you have your arcade mode um where you play through an arcade style arcade style story mode where there's you play against a bunch of characters and then you have the final boss which the final boss is also just a huge jerk to beat <laughs> because he's a boss that keeps transforming whenever you beat him you beat one form he transforms you beat him again and then that's it i think he had two forms i think he had two or three forms he starts off as a ball that changes shape and then he transforms into a ball with arms and legs and then he beats the lever- ever-living snot out of you. And then you finally beat him. But it also also had multiplayer. Because of course it does. Oh, uh, doesn't um, the fighting game local always and have online. A, uh, fighting mode? No, local and oh, online. Okay, that's cool. Yeah. And the online, I actually play... I mean, you can't play it online anymore because the Nintendo Wi-Fi um, service is not... Is, you know, is a thing of the past. Um, so you can't play that online anymore. But... Back when I played it, for about 75% of the matches that I played, it was a stable connection. I could always find a person to fight against. And for the most part, uh, there was virtually no lag. So the netcode, I don't know what netcode that Capcom was using for Tatsunoko versus Capcom, but it was at the very least way more stabler. It's way more stabler, way more stable than what nintendo was using for smash brothers which is unfortunate because you know that was the first time you could play smash brothers online and unless you were playing one-on-one and even then it was (laughs) Um, kind of sounds like tatsunoko uh, versus pro evolution soccer tatsunoko versus guy yeah wait i i I never played pro evolution soccer online i mean like i sometimes have these moments in which i want to play soccer games and i prefer pass over fifa but um I never played them online, but I always like. I, I think they fixed it now. But in the previous uh, games, 
the one of the main critiques in every review would be the online multiplayer. If you wanted to play it against another team, mm. it would lag or there would be issues or disconnects or whatever. There would be constant issues, whereas FIFA would always be amazing and it had all the licensing. I can't imagine the ne- I can't imagine the netcode for a football game being anything but playable. Yeah, th- that's so that's kind of that was that's yeah kind of i was always surprised that that would, would be one of the critique things like the, it would always be the same thing it would be yeah it doesn't have the licensing yeah no shit um, ea has the licensing so are you going to keep bringing up this issue every year and then another critique would be yeah 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 uh, the the multiplayer sucks because the, the the connection drops out and there's lag and blah 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 well maybe it's because Japanese games generally don't have a lot of multiplayer in them, so it's mainly story-based games. So it could be just that it's not a strength of a, a, a Japanese game well, or something. Not, uh, well, maybe not of ma- the majority of them. I mean, like I said before, Capcom did a bang-up job. Yeah. And I mean, we know that they've done a, they did a bang-up job in the previous generation because they're on their netcode for uh, Street Fighter. 2 HD remake uh, was good, and for Street Fighter 4 was good, and for this it was good. So, it, so clearly, at least Capcom was on the ball when it came to writing netcode for their fighting games. Maybe least. it's one of those Konami things again, you know. I mean, Konami yeah. keeps dropping the ball. And to be fair, Capcom also writes netcode for their arcade cabinets. Oh, so. that's cool. I didn't know that. I played. Um, yeah, oh, wow, there, like this is a conversation for another time. But I can like, I could probably talk for an entire segment about my game, my arcade experience in Japan. So maybe we should do it. But if people want that, maybe people time. should like. I don't know if it's something people want to hear, but if they want to hear that, let us know, and we'll definitely look into stuff like that. Because Most yeah, definitely. I don't know if people want to hear about that. Or at least hear you talk about arcade and hear me listen or something like that. <laughs> I mean, we can we can discuss. We yeah, can discuss. yeah, I've played some arcade games. The, the, my favorite arcade game has always been the same. It's uh, Time Crisis. You know, one with the gun and the yeah. battle. I played that one on the place. And I am planning to return to Japan in 2020 again. So right. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I'll uh, don't worry, guys. I'll uh, make sure that Sean. Uh, I'll, I'll drag him there through hell and hard oh, water. Man. Oh man, <laughs> Japan! Well, you don't want you, you don't want to go to, you don't want to go to the land of Sony. Oh, I would love to go to the land of Sony. I would love to go to the land of Sony. Yeah. Any uh, right, things so, left? Any stuff you want to add about your uh, hidden gem? Um, just that if you still own a Wii, or if you own. Seriously, who owns a Wii? For whatever reason. <laughs> well, honestly, it I don't know if you've been watching the resale market on Wii U's, but people that are selling brand new Wii U's that are in box, never open, are selling them for like hundreds of hundreds of dollars. Why? Like because there's they stopped production of it like two years ago and the price just shot up. But why would people pay a lot of money want- for a field console? The same reason why people want a virtual boy, because it's rare. Okay. Yeah, uh-huh. I mean, I it's 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 gonna be the same reason why you suddenly see 
the the, the resale market for the the PlayStation Vita suddenly shoot up because they stopped producing oh, okay. it. It's going to happen to that. If it happened to the Wii U, it's going to happen to the Vita because people want something that's unique in a sense. Yeah, I remember that when Sony um, brought out those um, uh, PlayStation 4s with the original PlayStation color scheme a couple of years ago, mm. and they made, yeah. a, it was a rare one. So they made like a few thousand or maybe a thousand of them. Oh, uh, oh, I'll tell you about it. It wasn't a lot, and I'll tell you about. My I saw one for a thousand euros. Game. I was at uh, one of those game conventions, yeah. and I saw one for Silda for a thousand euros. I'm like, who's seriously going to spend a thousand euros on this? Collectors, yeah, probably. Yeah. All right. So I guess that's it. Uh, thank you guys for listening to another episode of the Gaming Rivals. I hope you see us as your gaming rivals. Uh, you can always catch us on our feed uh, on Anchor and on any podcast app that you are willing to use to listen to us. Uh, you can also catch us on Twitter at, uh, <laughs> at game underscore rivals underscore. Uh, you can catch me on at Maximilian on Twitter. You can also send us your feedback to our email which is gamerivalsfeedback at gmail.com. And instead of... Le- you can always leave a review on Apple Podcasts, which is super cool, but maybe... Or any podcast. Or, yeah, but use. maybe instead of giving us a review, just tell someone else about our podcast. Tell at least one person you know about our podcast or preferably to listen to our podcast. That would make it so much more awesome. Yeah, totally. We'd like to have more uh, listeners... We'd also like to have more interacting with you guys. So please send us your feedback, send us your opinions, send us your let questions. Let us know what to do next. Either let us what to yeah. do next. Um, let me know if I should torture uh, Sean Templar even more uh, with uh, more random antics oh, um, or with some <laughs> games that I know that he would not love to play. GRPGs. I sure would make for some quality content um and yeah i mean i'm down to play anything so you know he can he can't scare me you're so funny how about you just end this segment and go back and finish horizon zero dawn (laughs) (laughs) i'll go back and do that indeed so uh coming to you from the lower lands in europe this is maximilian this is sean templer and we'll catch you next time Peace. Later.